All right, welcome back, everybody. And let me try that again. Good morning, everybody. Morning. Good morning. Here we go. Good morning. For all our for all our people who listeners who will listen to this later. Not sitting in a room by myself. <laughs> it's good. So a couple announcements to go over real quick before we get into our reading. One is next week, April nineteenth, we will be discussing First Corinthians chapter five. And we're going to do the whole chapter. It's not that long, but there's two pretty interesting sections. The first section in chapter 5 is titled Immoral Church Members. So that is going to be interesting. And the second section in our books is titled Church Discipline. So we're going to learn all about how to be immoral and get, and get away with it. Wow. That's not exactly, <clears throat> not exactly true. And then uh, the following announcement is May 7th. We're, held, we're having a corporate gathering. That's the first Saturday in May. We're going to be at Rocky Ridge Park. Um, the address is 3699 Dinier Road, York, Pennsylvania. Um, stay tuned for the exact pavilion. It's reserved. I just couldn't remember. We have a little issue with our with the email, and so we don't get all we don't have all of our information just yet. So stay tuned for that. And then as well, also. Um, you know, we record our conversations, we'll share them around. I think Angel has them also posted on Spotify, the link to Spotify. So, so that's really cool. Yeah. Okay. With that being said, today we're doing first Corinthians chapter four and the verses we're focusing on is one through five, the faithful manager. So if you have your scripture notebook Bible with you. You can follow along. Let's read this passage and then we'll, we'll have a good discussion about it. A person should think of us in this way, as servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. In this regard, it is required that managers be found faithful. It is of little importance to me that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I am not conscious of anything against myself, but I am not justified by this. It is the Lord who judges me. So don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts, and then praise will come to each one from God. So who would like to start off our conversation by, you know, what stood out to you in that passage and, and all of that? Or for that matter, our first time around, um, you know, if you read the whole chapter and have something that you stood out to you in the whole chapter before we focus on specifically those five verses. Nobody? Did anybody read it ahead of time? Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I listened to it on my Bible when I went to bed every, well, not every night, but a lot of the time. So when you read it, what stood out to you in the passage? Mark, do I start? Oh, just that stewards, you know, are to be found faithful. You don't want people being stewards in your house that you don't trust. So if we are, you know, called to be ministers in Christ, and that we are stewards of the mysteries of God, you know, so therefore we are to be found faithful. And, uh... But he's saying that 
you know, as it goes back, you know, into the verse three, where it talks about where with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. You know, so he doesn't really think much of their judgments of him. Mm. You know, it's, it's an interesting position to be. But that, you know, but he's, he's really more pointing to that he who judges me, I'm worried about God's judgment. That's all I've you know, pulled out of those first five verses. Thanks for sharing. Awesome. Sherry. Um, I don't know, just to sort of piggyback on what Mark said. Yeah. The idea that that God entrusts us to be managers or stewards or even just sharers of what he intended is <laughs> pretty pretty ridiculous and mm. pretty humbling. Right. Um so that that kind of stood out to me the idea that that we're that we even have that privilege or that right or whatever it is. Um and I also think it's funny when I kept going I did 1 through 7. Okay. Um and when he says there in verse 7 he start he starts to be a little sarcastic I think. Um Let's see, backing up. The purpose is that none of you will be arrogant, favoring one person over another. And then when he gets to verse 7, yeah. he says, For who makes you so superior? Wow. What do you have that you didn't receive? In fact, you did receive it. If you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? So that idea, like everything we do have, like we've received. We think it's... You know, it says something good about us, but it's all, you know, whatever we have spiritual growth or whether it's stuff or whatever you feel like you could boast about, everything you've gotten has been given to you by God and entrusted to you, you know, back to the steward thing. We're entrusted with it. It's not just for us to have superiority about it. It's for, you know, the, the greater good, God's good. But don't judge until... When it's in, in, in verse 5 where it talks about, you know, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come. And it's it's one of those things where it's like you're, you know, you're, you're called to act, to be a part of things, but not necessarily always be in judgment of yourself until your final deed is done. And, you know, and it's like, you know, like if, if I see you doing something with your back to me, I don't know what you're doing. I have no idea whether you're good at, you know, doing good or doing ill. You know, when we see our fellow man, you know, coming to church, you know, and having conversations and, you know, we hear a snippet of a situation and we pass judgment on that when we don't really see the whole story or mm-hmm. understand the depth of the conversation. The background. Right. You know, come together and just don't judge. Just enjoy each other and, and you know, and be, be the stewards that God wants us to be. Uh, Luis, joining us via Zoom, what do you think? Um, well, I especially like verse 3, because it really gets you thinking about what's important to God versus what's important to society, and especially 
actually when I read it in the remedy, it says, wait a minute, I make sure. Yeah. Verse three, your assessment of me is not relevant, nor do I concern myself with the conclusions of a human court. Indeed, I do not even diagnose myself. Mm. So, um, I just think it's interesting how so many people are quick to judge and there's like people out there. I mean, I know a lot of people take the word judge out of context that it, when it, it's saying don't judge somebody else's salvation and then there's making judgment calls on people. And it's just, I, I think it's important to remember that. But then I also think it's interesting that he doesn't care what the world thinks about him. And that makes sense considering the fact that God looks inward and society looks outward. And just the way, I mean, you can't be a people pleaser and still um, and, and still follow God because of the way you'd be um, just I'm having trouble getting my words out here. I, I know what's in here, but it's not coming out. Um, it, it's just if you worry about what society thinks of you, you'd be so diluted that you wouldn't be able to do God's purpose. Right. Derek, you had a comment. Where, where do you guys think the balance is between by their fruits you shall know them, the idea that you can observe what someone does and make a judgment based on that versus a passage like that that says we shouldn't judge? What should we judge and what shouldn't we judge? I'm curious what you all think. Hmm. Learn to be able to judge our own decisions. Well, I think contextually, Derek, to speak to what you're saying is, you know, contextually with what Paul's talking about here, he specifically, I think the answer is in verse 7, where he says that don't judge before prematurely before the Lord comes, who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the heart. And so I believe that contextually what Paul's talking about in this context is that, you know, it's judging or trying to make sense of someone's intentions or assuming what the intentions are when we don't know. So, Sarah, do you have something? I think there's a difference between... Yeah, I think this is more talking about, like, judging um, for the fitness of salvation or heaven, right? Like, that is not our job. Um, versus, maybe, Derek, what you're saying is judging somebody's intentions and sincerity to determine whether you can trust them or whether they're right like going to cause you harm or whatever right like we think there's a difference between like our place is not to judge whether okay well that person is good enough to go to heaven or that person is you know in the right spot versus like us having enough understanding of a good character to say you know, like that person is showing me something that I don't think I can trust to, to make sure that I'm safe or 
that makes sense. Versus like saying, I'm judging you and saying that you shouldn't receive salvation. Yeah, because it says, you know, verse four says, for I am not conscious of anything against myself. Like, like obviously we understand, you know, most of us right and wrong, right? Like we have a good moral compass a lot of times. So like how would that fit for I am not conscious of anything? Like we, we understand at least some good and wrong, right? But we don't necessarily understand salvation aspect of it being for ourselves sometimes. I think it's trying to, <clears throat> it's trying to separate the judge like judging somebody's salvation versus some judging somebody's intentions towards you. Right. Like like you know, we we judge emails and stuff like, oh I got an email like yeah that does that doesn't look right. That looks like spam or something. So you're judging it's like, <laughs> yeah that's not good. Right. I'm not clicking but on you're the not link. Judging but you're not judging somebody's salvation. I misplayed, you misspelled my bank's name. <laughs> so I thought. <laughs> you think they would know how to spell it? That's right. I thought that um, verse four there toward the end, I thought was really neat where he's, where again, Sarah, he references where Paul says, For I'm not conscious of anything against myself, but I'm not justified by this. Like, that's a really interesting tag he put there. I'm not conscious of anything against myself, but I'm not justified by this. It is the Lord who judges me. So Paul, for, for me, what I got out of that is Paul essentially is saying, like, I'm fully persuaded in my own mind. I I am living in harmony with truth. You know, truth loses nothing by close investigation. So in essence, Paul is saying, it, it doesn't matter what you say or what questions you ask or how deep you want to dig into my life. It's fine because I'm I'm fully persuaded. My conscience is clear. But he says, however, just justified is a fancy word that basically means set right. But Paul's saying, I'm not set right by the fact that my conscience is clear. For me, for me, you know, what I got out of what Paul's saying is, I'm not justified or I'm not set right by my own declarations about myself. Mm-hmm. Doesn't count. It doesn't count. Paul's saying, it's God who judges me is the one that says i'm set right and so for me i i wrote a little note here on that word it is the lord who judges me when you hear and luis spoke to this when you hear the word judge what do you hear and so for me when i read that i didn't always read it this way i I had a very different picture of god but when i was growing up but i read that as in other words i would almost take my pen and scratch out the line judges and i would write diagnosis Reveals. Reveals. It is the Lord who diagnoses me. So it's it's like the doctor gives you the MRI. Because because here's the way I, I think, to me, Paul's making this connection where it's like, I can walk around and I can say, I'm healthy. I'm fine. I'm healthy. I feel great. My energy's up. Everything's good. Oh, cool. Well, I'm, I'm healthy. I'm telling people I'm healthy. And they look at me and they say I'm healthy. Well, then I go to the doctor who judges me or diagnoses me and gives me an MRI. says, you've got stage four cancer. And there are people who have advanced stage cancer that feel fine. They didn't even know anything about it. And it hit them mm-hmm. out of nowhere. And so and so that's what I believe Paul is describing of the kind of person God is in that situation. And it's like, you know? Yeah, I think, too, uh, to piggyback on what you're saying, like yeah. if you 
you sort of dip back to the previous chapter a little bit. Yeah. They're talking about, uh, or Paul's talking about, rather, all these people sort of bragging about whose yeah. disciple they are and stuff. It really, it, it seems like pride is a big thing that yes. he's pointing, it, strongly hinting at here about all the judging and stuff, you know. Yes. Be careful you don't think you're all that because you've heard sermons by this guy or that guy or you're studying with that teacher or this teacher. Yes. But, but, um, uh, like I think, I think it would be safe if you caught me doing some kind of serious crime or sin, and you, like you could judge that, you could see it. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. The the what you said before, the intentions, of the heart are a little trickier to nail down, and, and particularly pride, and you know, diagnosing your own sense of pride is really tough. Right. So I like that. Hey, he points that out in verse four. Like I'm not even. Sure, I can trust my own diagnosis of my situation here. Yeah. Does anyone else have anything else they want to add even further on in our passage before we... Verse 6 at the end, it says, The purpose is that none of you will be arrogant, favoring one person over the other. So that Mm -hmm. points to exactly what they're saying. The purpose is that none of you will be arrogant, favoring one person over another. Wow. Who would like to tackle that answer? I'd say no. Or give your I don't think so. Own. Unless your diagnosis is always "I'm great" and everyone else is wrong, then yes, it's <laughs> it's a problem. But it's if you're di- if like if if you really, I, I think we're called to be introspective. Uh, but yeah. I think we're we're supposed to invite God into the process. Yeah, search my heart. You know uh, what what uh, David writes in the Psalms, right? Yes. Search me and show me if there's any wicked way in me, and then lead me in you know lead me in the right direction. So right. I think we are supposed to be introspective and, and judge ourselves, but not if if your answer is always well I don't know I'm the only one who has good. you know who's doing it right doing then good, so. then you're pro- yeah. probably not a very good uh, what's the word judge. So verse five. Um, you know, I wrote a decent amount of stuff down with that verse that really stood out to me. Verse 5, So don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts. Does that verse make you cautious or nervous or worried? And that and that's a, that's a question I kind of asked myself because I've heard in the past, I've heard different theologians and preachers read that verse but God will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts and basically say, so you better watch out because one day the whole world <laughs> is going to see everything that you've ever done in your whole life. I've heard and that. it says it right there. And, and, and I was told that as a kid mm-hmm. and, and I was like, it produced all this fear in me and stuff like that. And so, but then right after, right after that verse, Paul says, and then praise will come to God. Praise will come to each one from God. So, like, how do you... So, for me, when I was thinking about this, if you, ha- if you have this view of God that there's... This is how I pictured it when I was growing up. There's a drive-in movie screen, and here's Charlie's life for the world to see. But then Charlie's <laughs> going to praise God for how wonderful he is for shaming me publicly to the world. 
Sherry, go ahead. I have some thoughts about that, just based on my experience. Yes. Um, yes, a little bit of nervousness, because I've had that happen. Because I've, you know, given God permission to do that in my life, at least to some degree. Um, and yeah, it's uncomfortable, it's painful, but it also... I think it ends up being so worth it in the end. And I don't mean the end, but, right. you know, as it happens, because I think I didn't really know what conviction felt like mm. until I was probably in my 30s. Mm-hmm. I knew what shame felt like lots. And I knew what, you know, somebody pointing out wrong things felt like criticism I definitely didn't like that. But the first time that I actually felt conviction was very, very different. And it had with it, like, different feelings Mm. that came with it. It didn't come with the shame. It came with the sense of that that wasn't the right thing or the right thought. Like remorse. Yeah. But it had, like, a, a hopeful healing sort of feeling to it and it was actually quite uplifting and it felt sort of I guess honoring in a way because it felt like God wanted to do something good he wanted like he found it felt like he found me worthy of growing me you know what I mean like like he wanted to do something with me as opposed to just like putting me down or shaming me so I still have some leftover nervousness about it or, or whatever, because it never feels good to be wrong. But yeah, I think it's, it's a lot different than the, the condemnation that I was taught to think. That sounds like a coach, how a coach would approach someone to get more out of their players. Oh, help you grow. Yeah. Yeah. A good coach. To encourage, right. To encourage you to do right. what you can do, what your potential is. So that's a great segue, actually, into our second question of our of our question worksheet: is what is this passage? Cons- uh, what is what did you learn about God and the kind of person He is? Mm-hmm. And so, Sherry, thank you so much for that because it really kind of brought us into this this context now. So, if we can shift the conversation to address that, what do we learn about God and the kind of person He is through this? And um, you know, who would who would like to kind of go first and kind of answer that, or or, or fall back from Sherry? go around is this question I'm sorry go ahead sir go ahead so uh, so the villa comes at the end of verse 5 says um, who will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts what about you know, because, like, we, we look at, you know, a lot of times in the Bible it talks about darkness. It's hiding evil. It's hiding, you know, um, bad things. But how many times have, has something happened that you know that your intentions were good, but somebody else read it as bad, right? Mm-hmm. So, and it was never maybe brought to light, Right. So what about the idea that, you know, what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions, that 
those things that were never revealed for the truth of what they were, right? But they were actually good things, right? But they were just never mm -hmm. revealed. And then because that would make sense then, and then praise will come to each one from God. So those things that were misunderstood or, you know, things that like maybe hurt somebody, but your intention was not to. It was perceived as injury. Right. Well, that's really good. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. You have a comment, go ahead. That actually kind of goes along with something that I've always told my kids, which is that I, one reason I can't wait for heaven, and I think that's kind of what, you know, he's talking about here, is that I want my kids to see, like, how much I actually loved them, how much I actually was out for their good, because so often when we're parenting and things are sinful here, you know, that gets in the way of them actually seeing how much I love them at times. So that kind of goes right along with that, I think, is, is finally all of that will be revealed. And I think that also means that the bad intentions, you know, that I've also had for people, I guess, will, will be revealed. Oh. <laughs> Seth, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, I never ever thought that, like, I never read that verse as a kid. I never had that fear, I guess. That's good. But, I mean, I did, um, I did, I was told as a kid that God sees everything that I'm doing, and I still think about that to this day, so, I don't know, I don't yeah. know, really, I have too many thoughts, I'm kind of writing notes off you guys. That's good, mm -hmm. that's good, praise God for that. Yeah, we'll go Mark, and then I have something to add. I just, I, I only fear the sin or the, or the action that I didn't ask forgiveness for. Hmm. Because it, it's, you know, when you go through life and you, you know, everyone tries to hide things, you know, everyone's got their skeletons in their closet and, or some semblance of that. And it's one of those things where I think people who keep things there that don't come to grips, I think have the most to fear because that will be exposed. Hmm. And it, it's, it's, and I, I personally try to just live a truthful, honest life and I bump through it as I go and, and I ask forgiveness a lot. And so it's, I don't think a, a, a forgiven notion you have, anyone has anything to fear. Thank you. Um, I wrote a couple things here just to reference back, you know, part of our mission statement and purpose here at Collective Journey is you know, learning about God as revealed in Jesus. And so I kind of spent a few minutes and thought to some examples in Jesus' ministry that kind of points to this context and this concept of, you know, when God reveals the intentions and motives of someone's hearts, what happens? What does God do? Because Jesus is God. And so I wrote, and I'll, and I'll, I'll list the three that I wrote down, and then, and then by all means, if you, you think of some other ones, you know, add them to it. But the first one I wrote straight up was Jesus with the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. Mm -hmm. And how he revealed the intentions and motives of the hearts of the Pharisees and those trying to stone her. Okay, we can learn a lot about how God reveals the intentions and motives and what happened. 
The second story is Judas Iscariot. When he went to betray Jesus, Jesus understood the intentions and motives of Judas's heart. He communicated that to Judas, saying, I know what your intentions are, but look at the rest of the public, the public scene, right? The third one was Jesus with Simon the Pharisee. That story is found in Luke chapter 7. And um, I'll leave it up to you guys to go and to read into that story. But Spirit of Prop, you know, the the Spirit of Prophecy, Emma White has some comments on that example that basically says that Simon the Pharisee was Mary Magdalene's uncle. And it's and it's understood that Mary Magdalene is the same woman that was caught in adultery. It's kind of a it's kind of a thread here. And Simon was the one that actually, as her uncle, led her into sexual sin through abuse and rape and all that kind of stuff. And so in the story of Luke chapter 7, Simon, in front of Jesus, is putting down Mary Magdalene by saying, look at this filth. When the whole time Simon's the one that made that filth. Wow. And you can read the story of how Jesus <laughs> revealed the intentions of Simon's heart and shut him up just like that. And so what we learn in these stories in Jesus' life about what happens when God reveals the intentions of our hearts. And Sherry, you pointed it right out perfectly that, and I wrote, Jesus always spoke to sinful people in a way that introduced truth into their minds, leading them to conviction, yet didn't shame them publicly. Right. And you see this over and over and over in Jesus' ministry. Comment, please. Yeah, you brought up Judas the night that he betrayed Jesus, right? Yes. And how that was handled. This, at the same basic time, um, Peter was denying Jesus. Very good, Sort yes. of betraying him. Yes. Basically the same kind of yes. thing. Didn't end exactly. up as, as negative for Jesus. But um, the way Jesus handled that was very, like yes. that, it, it, it was received so differently yes. by Peter, right? Peter saw love in Jesus's eyes and it brought him to a, a humbleness and a repentance that didn't happen with Judas. And you can see Peter acting out <coughs> all right at the end of verse five, when after Jesus reveals the hidden intentions of the heart, those who are receptive Right. will be like Peter, praise will come to each one from God. And those who are not receptive, like Judas Iscariot, will kill themselves. Right. And look what happened. Look, like, look what Peter ended up doing. Right. You know, Absolutely. He built the church. Absolutely. With, you know, on Jesus, of course. But Absolutely. he built the church. He became a, a main player. So any, any final thoughts? Um, we have a couple minutes here before we can close. So just any final thoughts on this? Comments to add? You know, next week with, with chapter five, I think it's going to be a really, a really interesting, heavy conversation just to redirect you to that quickly with immoral church members and church discipline. So there's some super practical advice in that. And the last sentence in chapter five, Paul says, remove the evil person from among you. So it's going to be very interesting to see how we address that content in like on the tail end of this conversation about judging persons' intentions and motives. 
and how and how we can kind of distinguish between those two. So I'm really I'm really looking forward to that conversation. So do we need to bring our suitcases? Bring your suitcases. <laughs> <laughs> time to go. That's right. Bring yes. your suitcases. Back you back. That's right. So yeah. yeah. And then don't forget. Less than I did this week. <laughs> and then don't forget May seventh is our corporate gathering at Rocky Ridge Park. So invite your friends. That's a great time to to invite your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, extended people you know, um, to kind of engage in fellowship with us. So let's bow our heads for some prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the kind of person who desires our healing and restoration, and that the the steps that you're willing to take. Um, to demonstrate that we can trust you even with the secret intentions and motives of our hearts. And we thank you for the examples that you've given us in Scripture of how you do that. And we thank you so much for our own experience that we've had with you and how conviction comes to our minds. And it's not, it's not always shamefully in public. Most of the time it's, it's a word or a phrase or something we read or something we hear that clicks in our heads and our minds that convicts us in a private way. And I, and I praise you so much, God, that that's, that's who you are. May you bless us the rest of this Sabbath day. And may we demonstrate your life to those that we come in contact with this week. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.